Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hey, Barbie. Yeah. Can I come to your house tonight? Sure. I don't have anything big planned, just a giant blowout party with all the Barbies and planned choreography and a bespoke song. You should stop by. So cool. Hi, y'all. Welcome to a very special, perhaps a limited edition of IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit. My name is Sarah Shackett, and as part of IndieWire's deep dive into all things Barbie on the site, today's episode explores the evolution of the music of Barbie, which if you've seen the film, and I'm not sure why you would be listening to this if you haven't, then you know uh, that music is key to the Barbie movie. It is the film's joyous and bonkers beating heart, and it has been since the beginning. Here's writer and director Greta Gerwig. Really early from writing the script and starting to imagine the world, I had a really specific playlist going. A score I was interested in, a pop music I was interested in, things that felt connected to me, to the world. I'd sort of always imagined this to be a sort of, you know, rock concert, pop fantasy musical. As the Barbie writer-director just alluded to, the sounds in Gerwig's head that would inspire the music of Barbie are an eclectic mix. It's everything from groovy 80s scores and synths to heartfelt bedroom rock to emo 90s radio bangers to Gene Kelly musical numbers. It's bonkers, but it makes sense. And yet there was no real obvious process for how these elements could come together to create a sound that is fun and bright and poppy, but also a little bit aching and strange. Nor was it something that the director and her longtime editing collaborator, Nick Huey, had experience with on their far more, I'm going to say, naturalistic films, Lady Bird and Little Women. What they did have were some pop stars who were down to collaborate on tracks for the film, like Dua Lipa, Nicki Minaj, Lizzo, Haim, Billie Eilish. And to help with this, Gerwig hired veteran music producers Mark Ronson and Andrew Wyatt. Ronson and Wyatt are no strangers to producing and writing music with pop stars, nor to writing songs for movies. The pair previously collaborated with Lady Gaga on the songs for A Star is Born. And initially, Ronson and Wyatt were focused on writing a song for the Barbie number that would become Dance the Night, as well as a Ken song. But as you are about to hear Ronson explain, there was some scope creep. Once the Barbie team got into the edit, the music producers found themselves contributing score as well. When we wrote Ken, which was essentially a two and a half minute song, and it was suddenly turned into this whole battle scene and it became this 10 minute scene. We went to the first edit, a really early edit of the film, and she was just literally looping like the same part of the song. We were like, this is really bad and we can't let you listen to this anymore. We weren't supposed to do the score anyway, but can we please just score out this entire thing and, 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 and find something? So we just took a shot at it. Here is Gerwig again, along with Barbie editor Nick Huey. Mark was producing the soundtrack. They already written songs for the movie that were pop songs. And then what they were able to do was basically weave melodies and undercurrents from the pop songs into score so that you never felt like there was score over here and songs over there. Right. They reverse engineered the pop song into the score. And so when you get to it, it feels totally natural and uh, emotional, hopefully. And I think one thing, because we had so many different amazing artists, it was like bridging this gap between what was pop and what was score. And figuring that out. That was not an obvious task. <laughs> yeah. That was probably the most challenging thing, actually. Yeah, number one. Greta just played us 
scores that she loved and told us what she was emotionally looking for. And we just found it just by, you know, experimenting, going on this journey together. Luckily, we got in pretty early on the film. So we had a time to really like live in the emotion and the color palette and everything of this film to so we understood what she was looking for. What was amazing about where we kind of ended up with it and Mark and Andrew writing the score was they had a great love for all, all of the, the scores that I was talking about, like the groovy Dave Grusin scores of the 80s. I was really into No one would make this kind of movie score today, but they're so great. They just make me extremely happy. So we're, and then, you know, going back and forth about that, like Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical Starlight Express was another touch point. I mean, there were tons of touch points. Take me to everywhere, but don't abandon me there. Just want to say I've Those scores were all so fucking emotive and beautiful as like nostalgia looks at the 80s sometimes when we think of synths we think of like just in the most obvious kind of like synths i get it it's spooky it's eerie it's 80s but the the synth scores of the 80s like van gellis and maurice jar and like even though it's a little later philip glass's work in the truman show like synths were as evocative as as anything at that moment There was this wonderful marriage of the technology of the time and the synthesizers and the DX7s and CS80s and things were happening, but also still this classic sense of using the orchestra in a symphonic way. Here's Andrew Wyatt, who brought a very feeling synth sensibility to the orchestrations of Barbie. The idea of taking the synthesizers and having it work organically with an orchestra was, I think, the main starting point. There's a crisscross of like vernacular that is within pop music and that is also, believe it or not, within orchestral music that means something to most people because of the number of films that have been generated by Hollywood over the past hundred years. So I think that, that we just wanted to try to play with that and also try to do it in a way that felt like sonically had a signature to it that was going to help unify the film. I'm definitely not thinking about death anymore. It's an intricate plot. So what putting the music in, I think, takes the emotional broad strokes, kind of tell a story that allows you to understand some of the more complicated dialogue that's in the film. And I think that's one thing that we were conscious of when we were trying to make the music. Oh, you've done it. You've opened a portal. I didn't open a portal. Someone did. And now there is a rift in the continuum that is the membrane between Barbie land and the real world. And if you want to be stereotypical Barbie perfect again, then baby girl, you got to go fix it. The dialogue is so fucking clever and the performances, like that was also for us as our first score, knowing when not to get in the way. You know, we come from pop where it's always about like more hooks. How can you make more air candy? You know, we're, we're like thinking like that. And it's like, God, actually, no, sometimes what this needs is just a pad and an emotive thing. Jeez, you would think a construction site at lunchtime would be the perfect place for a little woman power. This one was so... male. Everything's almost, like, reversed here. 
it was really funny the first time, you know, we were working on some of the more score pieces and we're there in our studio blasting shit like we're working on a fucking Kendrick Lamar album. And then we got into this, the, the edit room for the first time. And like, it was so quiet, the music. It was so humbling to the A, just to know that as musicians and composers, you're really serving the master of the film. You'll be sitting under dialogue and effects and whatever else, but also started to understand, wait, the frequencies that are really going to speak here are subs. It's going to be cellos. It's not going to be violins. All these kind of lovely belly, tinkery, DX7 things that we're doing and these busy hi-hat patterns are stepping all over the dialogue. So it was like really both humbling and really exciting to like have our full crash course every scene we saw we're like okay let's write a completely new piece of music which we did but then we probably realized you know oh we can use this here and taking all these themes and putting them in multiple places in the film which is because it was our first time we didn't realize that it really helps unify the film when you do that yeah the power yeah. of the theme and then there yeah. would be other things where sometimes like when she ascends the stairwell to visit weird barbie when those heavy drums come in We didn't really think that Greta would use heavy drums. I think we just put it at the end because we wanted to show her like this could even be with a beat. It could maybe even be a song on the soundtrack. And then Greta heard and she was like, no, no, no. The drums are going to be the main part. Like, and it was such a cool, interesting way to take it. So Greta, Nick, Susanna would sometimes take something that we wrote and rearrange it and structure in a way that we wouldn't have imagined, but then inspired us to like then develop it from there. The great Dua Lipa disco tragedy, which is Dance the Night. I mean, we had that song from the beginning written by Mark and Andrew, but with no song in the song, you know, so we could choreograph to it and have a bass, but we didn't know what the song would be. Dua was in before they even started shooting. We had the instrumental, sent it to Dua, and then we all got in the studio and wrote this song that was like this pretty kick-ass, like empowering Dua song. And we watched it against the footage and we all were kind of excited and Greta was in, the, was in the room and she was like, no, yeah, it's great, it's great. But just something didn't feel right to all of us. I think that we knew that we had written a really great Dua Lipa song, but maybe not one that was serving the film because it had too much like edge and a hint of darkness and it just wasn't connecting with what we were seeing on the screen with Margot in a glitter dress having the day of her life. And, you know, of course, sure, you could just think that like, cool, people in Barbie land are just listening to a Dua Lipa banger. It doesn't necessarily have to speak to the emotion, right? People in Barbie land will dance to Don't Start Now. But Dua was like, you know what, we got to rewrite this. So we rewrote and we actually then didn't love what we got because we lost some of what was special about the melody. So then we actually rewrote it a third time from scratch. And at that point, even working with the best songwriters, everybody's confidence starts to be like on the third draft. Like, are we sure this is the fucking banger? Because we thought it was the banger last time and the time before that. But it, <laughs> we really got it to the very best place. And, you know, Duo was like on a world fucking sellout stadium tour, like hopping back into New York whenever she could to, to do this. She wrote specific lyrics to Picture, which was extraordinary. I mean, she's just standing in a studio making up lyrics to Margot. You know, she says... Margot looks at Cameron and gestures at the camera. I mean, it's just things like that, which were so extraordinary. And then the strings were literally done at the 11th hour because we were doing the orchestral session by that point. And it gave it even like more of a sort of like grandeur. Yeah. 
But as well as Dance the Night works for that sequence, it ended up having this ripple effect that connected Barbie Land and the real world sonically. Ronson Wyatt and the Barbie team were able to take melodies used in the song and then apply them to a very unexpected place, the film's version of the Mattel Corporation. She gave us this sparkling diamond of a disco song and then also allowed it to be interpreted in all these different ways. With Mattel, we were tempting with like Wang Chung. Yeah. <laughs> to live and die in LA. We just wanted everything to be funny, but never move into something that felt like pastiche or like that we're not taking it seriously. It wanted to be taken seriously, but also heightened. When Mark and Andrew came up with a marching band doing the disco song, that was big for even explaining the Mattel character to an audience. I think at first we were playing her the first time she goes into Mattel a bit more like the Death Star, like what you would expect going into Mattel, something like that in that zone. Noah had a brilliant comment and he was like, can you give them more of a, a nobility, but a bumbling nobility? And that's something that Elmer Bernstein did incredibly in Stripes and all these things and Ghostbusters. You know, it's so great to have this thing like, well, they don't know they're idiots. We are a company literally made of women. We had a woman CEO in the 90s. And there was another one at some other time. So we put the motif from the Dua song on horns. It was Andrew's idea and made it like a marching band, this sort of like faux military thing. Mattel, of course it was you guys that brought me here because it definitely wasn't that Sasha girl. And then there were really amazing things that Greta did along the way and Susanna Parrish, the music editor, and Nick Hoy, the editor of the film. We'd send in this little idea, we had the Mattel idea, and then we went into the edit room the next time and they had put it every time Will Ferrell showed up. So it became almost like Monty Python when the Spanish Inquisition keeps showing up everywhere. You're like, it, it became a gag in itself. Excuse me, have you seen a group of women on wheels? Actually, yeah, there was a blonde brunette and a tween. They rollerbladed in that direction. Oh, no. First step is always rollerblading. I think it was a big onus. Obviously, the movie is so smart and so laid and all these storylines. They're so beautiful. There's so many people to fall in love with. There's so many people to root for. And I think what Greta was just looking for us to do was pull it all together in a way. And I remember saying little things along the way that she'd be like, oh, yeah, oh, Will's testing a lot better now. It must be something to do with the music or something. It would be so exciting to have that, you know, like obviously it's a little flattering, but it's just from somebody that you think is that you have the highest respect for as a filmmaker is telling you like, thanks, you're making my life a little bit easier. Like, that was exciting. P, pretty, I, intelligent, N, never said, K, cool. Greta had a good idea of where she wanted songs to lay. So we would show people enough of the film to get a sense of the scope, what it was about, and then we would show them their exact spot. I think that's why the soundtrack, it has a special thing to it because the identity is there because everybody really saw the film, fell in love with it, and then did their interpretation of what that scene was about. When I wake up in my own pink world, Get up out of bed and wave to my homegirls. 
we had this like opening sequence. Mark and Andrew had had written this really fun piece for it. And then when Lizzo came on, she basically wrote and riffed on top of what they had written as a base. And she as a collaborator like knew exactly what was funny about it. And in what she was doing with her lyrics was the same kind of humor that we were doing when she was literally singing what you're seeing on screen. Hey, Bobby, I like your style. If that was really a mirror, you see a perfect smile. It was so deeply funny. As a result, it felt like it all went together. <laughs> like that it was all shot for the song. Yes. And suddenly it completely changed the way people saw the beginning, too. It, it solved all of our problems we were having, which weren't crazy. But I remember everyone suddenly got the tone of the movie immediately in a way they hadn't before. Yeah, because it was before, I think it was just a little bit more obscure to people. And then something about her song allowed people to have a relationship with what they were looking at. When you're playing with Barbies, nobody bothers to walk them down the stairs and out the door, etc. You just pick them up and put them where you want them to go. You better fly, girl, yeah, yeah. You use your imagination. Hey, I was still singing. Definitely whenever you're thinking, is it the chicken or the egg? It was the chicken, meaning the songs inspired the score, which I've never experienced. It was cool. It was like a really smart idea. And we could only do it after working in a lot of great songs. And that, those took time. You know, we had to get the cut to a place where we wanted to show it to great artists like Billie Eilish. Vic and I put together like 30 minutes of footage to show Billy and Phineas and I showed it to them and we talked about it and they, they were so lovely and wonderful. And then they said, what is the kind of song you're interested in? And I was like, well, really, you can write whatever you want. I mean, I just think you guys are incredible. But, you know, if I could, if I had a wish list, it would be, I guess I, I want Barbie's heart song. <laughs> if you could, if you could just write me that. And they said, oh, OK. And they're under no obligation to make anything for me. I, I thought, well, maybe I you know that was just nice that I got to meet them and then it, it wasn't even a week later I got a voice note and it was Billy sitting at the piano playing and singing this song completely raw and it was I mean it's perfect it was perfect, perfect yeah. and the lyrics were I mean I couldn't believe that she wrote these lyrics mirroring what's on screen but also deepening it and it's a song that is the story of Barbie but it's also the story of all of us We were editing in Chelsea and I was coming from downtown and Nick was coming from Jersey. And I think I sent it to you after she sent it to me on the <laughs> yeah. bus. And I was already crying. <laughs> I was sitting there and, I, and Nick and I were like, editorially, we were like, where do we put, can we put this song everywhere? <laughs> you know? <laughs> it was so obvious that as soon as we heard the song, that it was so special and very powerful. And Greta was very much like, I can't have this giant emotional moment in the film where I introduced this Billie Eilish song, no matter how gorgeous and wonderful it is. And you think like, oh, there's a Billie Eilish song here. The, any moment for the audience to come out of that emotional thing, 
she really was like, I need you guys to work it into the score. And it was some serendipitous moments, like the thing that we had written for the bus stop when she first is sitting there and first has that vision of Gloria. We had a piano thing that was in a similar zone to the Billy song. We're like, great, well, we know how we can incorporate that here. It's a character in the film is like the harbinger of what she will be. And that starts to show up early in the film as like she's being called onto this mission to become real, as it were, you know. So that was her siren song, really. Andrew had written this beautiful 50s waltz for the scene where she meets Ruth Handler for the first time in the kitchen. And we were like, you know what? There's a way that we can turn what was I made for into a 6-8 waltz. You look different. Oh, well, that's not how I normally look. I usually look perfect. Oh, I don't know. I think you're just right. And also, when we wrote the whole piece of music for the last scene that leads up to Billy, when she's meeting her maker. I named you after her, Barbara. And I always hoped for you, like I hoped for her. We mothers stand still so our daughters can look back to see how far they've come. It was enough just to write something emotionally strong enough for that, but also like we knew that we had to also be setting up the Billy song at the same time. So the key and where it moved to and everything that we were writing, we knew that we just had to like lay out the most elegant, like beautiful, emotional carpet for the Billy song to come off of as well. Now feel. I used to float. It's woven throughout the movie at several different points in different ways with different instrumentation and a different emphasis, sometimes a different time signature. So that by the time you get to it at the end, you've actually been hearing it the whole movie. And they were amazing about allowing us to do that, you know, sort of use the melodies from it to build that emotional core that then releases when you're actually hearing the song. If Billie Eilish is what was I made for, and the ways that it is woven throughout the film is what gives Barbie a heartbeat long before she becomes human, then I'm just Ken is the Kool-Aid man through the brick wall moment that allows her counterpart to confront his own feelings. It is Remember the Other Track that Gerwig was concerned about when she initially started collaborating with Ronson and Wyatt on the music. And like Ken, it changed a lot from a simple, humorous songwriting challenge into a huge part of the movie that it is now unthinkable to imagine Barbie without. Doesn't seem to matter what I do I'm always number two No one knows how hard I tried we had our marching orders from Noah and Greta that said, we want a Ken song and a Barbie song. And it had these bullet points of these totally batshit loopy, but very funny, very smart things like the Ken song. It should be about he loves horses. He likes to wear a mink. He craves the physical touch of Barbie, but has no genitals. Like it was totally like just 
very funny and loopy, but nothing really to go on other than that. But the script and the emotion of the script and the sentiment, it packed a big emotional wallop and we were pretty inspired by that. It was never supposed to be performed in the film. It was never going to be Ryan singing it. It was just something that they really, they loved our demo and Greta sent it to Ryan and she convinced him to perform it in the, in the film. So then they rewrote that part of the film to then include the song. And now they destroy themselves. You know what I think? I think we should put our freaking constitution back. Yes. That's a great <laughs> idea. We were lucky that we had the entire 10 months that we were on this film to keep cooking it and keep taking it up a notch. And of course, what we were seeing coming back from the filming and the dailies and Jennifer's brilliant choreography was inspiring us then to take the Kennedy scene up a notch. And then Ryan's performance and all these things were starting to influence. And that's when we added Josh Freeze and Slash and Wolf Van Halen and the orchestra because it had to be big enough to match what was happening on screen. It was just like a surprise to all of us that they pulled that off. I don't think anyone was expecting such an amazing seeing me in the rain, dream within a dream in the Barbie movie. It was one of those things where you're seeing it and you're saying, how did Greta and Noah do this? It's the most insane, amazing thing that you would never think people would allow them to do. And Ryan Gosling is going for it 180%. <laughs> One great point that Noah really had for the last chorus, he was like, instead of I'm just Ken, this like mopey defeatist thing, like, can it be like, I'm just Ken, like, hear me roar. And so that really changed how we wrote that last chorus. Are you okay? I just don't know who I am without you. Maybe all the things that you thought made you you aren't really you. It really is a personal film, and, and people can, can read it that way if they want to, which is beautiful, I think. That's what it's all about, like making a personal film, even on this kind of huge of a scale. It's literally a Barbie movie, like it can't get any more commercial than that. But that's not what all, at least what I'm in it for, what anyone working on it was for. It was about making something that we felt strongly about and felt, you know, we just tried to make it as emotional and fun as we could, you know, and we just did our best. <laughs> that's all you can do, you know? Yeah, that's all you can do. <laughs> and that is all for this episode of IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. This episode was narrated by Sarah Shackett. It was produced by Jim Hemphill, Chris O'Fault, Sarah Shackett, and Trevor Wallace. Editing and sound mixing by Steve Cameron and Zach Valenti. Thank you to Warner Brothers for the use of the Barbie score and the soundtrack. 
You can see the full list of tracks in the episode description. And if you haven't had Kenuff of Barbie yet, then please go check out our deep dive video series on IndieWire.com, where we explore even more of the wondrous facets of the Barbie movie and the films that it is in conversation with. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.